Letter thirty two, part three of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty two, part three. Sunday. Now, my dear, by what I have already written, it is become in a manner necessary to acquaint you briefly with the method my dear Mr. B. not only permits, but encourages me to take, in the family he leaves to my care, as to the Sunday duty. The worthy Dean, at my request and my beloved's permission, recommended to me, as a sort of family chaplain for Sundays, a young gentleman of great sobriety and piety, and sound principles, who, having but lately taken orders, has at present no other provision and this gentleman comes and reads prayers to us about seven in the morning, in the lesser hall, as we call it, a retired apartment next the little garden, for we have no chapel with us here, as in your neighbourhood, and this generally with some suitable exhortation, or meditation out of some good book, which he is so kind as to let me choose now and then, when I please, takes up little more than half an hour. We have a great number of servants of both sexes, and myself, Mrs. Jervis, and Polly Barlow are generally in a little closet, which, when we open the door, is but just a separation from the hall. Mr. Adams, for that is our young clergyman's name, has a desk, at which sometimes Mr. Jonathan makes up his running accounts to Mr. Longman, who is very scrupulous of admitting anybody to the use of his office because of the writing in his custody, and the order he values himself upon having everything in. About seven in the evening he comes again, and I generally, let me have what company I will, find time to retire for about another half hour, and my dear Mr. B. connives at and excuses my absence, if enquired after, though for so short a time I am seldom missed, to the young gentleman I shall present every quarter five guineas, and Mr. B. presses him to accept of a place at his table at his pleasure. But, as we have generally much company, his modesty makes him decline it, especially at those times. Mr. Longman joins with us very often in our Sunday office, and Mr. Colbrand seldom misses and they tell Mrs. Jervis that they cannot express the pleasure they have to meet me there, and the edification they receive. My best beloved dispenses as much as he can with the servants for the evening part, if he has company, or will be attended only by John or Abraham, perhaps by turns, and sometimes looks upon his watch and says, "'Tis near seven, and if he says so, they take it for a hint that they may be dispensed with for half an hour." and this countenance which he gives me has contributed not a little to make the matter easy and delightful to me, and to every one. When I part from them, on the breaking up of our assembly, they generally make a little row on each side of the hall door, and when I have made my compliments and paid my thanks to Mr. Adams, they whisper as I go out, God bless you, madam, and bow and curtsy with such pleasure in their honest countenances, as greatly delights me, and I say, So, my good friends, I am glad to see you, not one absent, or but one, as it falls out, 
This is very obliging, I cry, and thus I show them that I take notice if anybody be not there. And back again I go to pay my duty to my earthly benefactor, and he is pleased to say sometimes that I come to him with such a radiance in my countenance as gives him double pleasure to behold me, and often tells me that but for appearing too fond before company, he could meet me as I enter, with embraces as pure as my own heart. I hope in time I shall prevail upon the dear man to give me his company, but thank God I am enabled to go thus far already. I will leave the rest to his providence, for I have a point very delicate to touch upon in this particular, and I must take care not to lose the ground I have gained, by too precipitately pushing at too much at once. This is my comfort, that next to being uniform himself, is that permission and encouragement he gives me to be so, and his pleasure in seeing me so delighted. And besides, he always gives me his company to church. Oh, how happy should I think myself, if he would be pleased to accompany me to the divine office, which yet he has not done, though I have urged him as much as I durst. Mrs. Jervis asked me on Saturday evening if I would be concerned to see a larger congregation in the lesser hall next morning than usual. I answered, no, by no means. She said Mrs. Worden and Mrs. Leslie, the two ladies' women, and Mr. Sidney, my Lord Davers' gentleman, and Mr. H.'s servant, and the coachman and footman, belonging to our noble visitors, who are, she says, all great admirers of our family management and good order, having been told our method, begged to join in it. I knew I should be a little dashed at so large a company, but the men being orderly for Lord's servants, and Mrs. Jervis assuring me that they were very earnest in their request, I consented to it. When at the usual time with my Polly, I went down, I found Mr. Adams here, to whom I made my first compliments, and every one of our own people waiting for me, Mr. Colbrand excepted, whom Mr. H. had kept up late the night before, together with Mrs. Worden and Mrs. Leslie and Mr. Sidney, with the servants of our guests, who, as also worthy Mr. Longman and Mrs. Jervis and Mr. Jonathan, paid me their respects, and I said, This is early rising. Mrs. Leslie and Mrs. Worden, you are very kind to countenance us with your companies in this our family order. Mr. Sidney, I am glad to see you. How do you do, Mr. Longman? And looked round with complacency on the servants of our noble visitors. And then I led Mrs. Worden and Mrs. Leslie to my little retiring place, and Mrs. Jervis and my Polly followed, and throwing the door open, Mr. Adams began some select prayers. And as he reads with great emphasis and propriety, as if his heart was in what he read, all the good folks were exceedingly attentive. After prayers, Mr. Adams read a meditation from a collection made for private use, which I shall more particularly mention by and by, and ending with the usual benediction, I thanked the worthy gentleman and gently chide him in Mr. B.'s name for his modesty in declining our table, and thanking Mr. Longman, Mrs. Worden and Mrs. Leslie, received their kind wishes and hastened blushing through their praises, to my chamber, where, being alone, I pursued the subject for an hour, till breakfast was ready, 
when I attended the ladies and my best beloved, who had told them of the verses placed under my cushion at church. We set out, my Lord and Lady Davers and myself, and Mr. H. in our coach, and Mr. B. and the Countess in the chariot, both ladies and gentlemen splendidly dressed. But I avoided a glitter as much as I could, that I might not seem to vie with the two peeresses. Mr. B. said, "'Why are you not fully dressed, my dear?' I said, "'I hoped he would not be displeased. "'If he was, I would do as he commanded.' He kindly answered, "'As you like best, my love, "'you are charming in every dress.' The chariot first drawing up to the church door, Mr. B. led the Countess into church. My Lord Davis did me that honour, and Mr. H. handed his aunt through a crowd of gazers, many of whom, as usual, were strangers. The neighbouring gentlemen and their ladies paid us their silent respects, but the thoughts of the wicked verses, or rather, as Lady Davers will have me say, wicked action of the transcriber of them, made me keep behind the pew, but my lady sat down by me, and whisperingly talked between whiles to me, with great tenderness and freedom, in her aspect, which I could not but take kindly, because I knew she intended by it to show every one she was pleased with me. Afterwards she was pleased to add, taking my hand, and Mr. B. and the Countess heard her, for she raised her voice to a more audible whisper. I am proud to be in thy company, and in this solemn place. I take thy hand, and acknowledge with pride my sister. I look down, and indeed at church, I can hardly at any time look up, for who can bear to be gazed at so? And softly said, O oh, my good lady, how much you honour me! The place and these surrounding eyes can only hinder me from acknowledging as I ought. My best friend, with pleasure in his eyes, said, pressing his hand upon both ours, as my lady had mine in hers, You are two beloved creatures, both excellent in your way. God bless you both, and you too, my dear brother, said my lady. The Countess whispered, you should spare a body a little. You give one, ladies, and Mr. B, too much pleasure all at once. Such company and such behaviour adds still more charms to devotion, and were I to be here a twelve-month, I would never miss once accompanying you to this good place. Mr. H thought he must say something and addressing himself to his noble uncle, who could not keep his good-natured eye off me. I'll be hanged, my lord, if I know how to behave myself. Why, this outdoes the chapel. I'm glad I put on my new suit. And then he looked upon himself, as if he would support, as well as he could, his part of the general admiration. But think you not, my dear Miss Darnford, and my dearest father and mother, that I am now in the height of my happiness in this life. Thus favoured by Lady Davers, the Dean preached an excellent sermon, but I need not have said that, only to have mentioned, that he preached, was saying enough. My Lord led me out when divine service was over, and being a little tender in his feet from a gouty notice, walked very slowly. Lady Towers and Mrs Brooks joined us in the porch, and made us their compliments, as did Mr. Martin. "'Will you favour us with your company home, my old acquaintance?' said Mr. B. to him. "'I can't, having a gentleman my relation to dine with me. 
but if it will be agreeable in the evening, I will bring him with me to taste of your burgundy, for we have not any such in the county. I shall be glad to see you or any friend of yours, replied Mr. B. Mr. Martin whispered, It is more, however, to admire your lady, I can tell you that, than your wine. Get into your coaches, ladies, said he with his usual freedom. Our maiden and widow ladies have a fine time of it wherever you come. By my faith they must every one of them quit this neighbourhood, if you were to stay in it. But all their hopes are that while you are in London they'll have the game in their own hands. Sister, said Lady Davers, most kindly to me in presence of many, who, in a respectful manner, gathered near us. Mr. Martin is the same gentleman he used to be, I see. Mr. Martin, madam, said I, smiling, has but one fault. He is too apt to praise whom he favours, at the expense of his absent friends. I am always proud of your reproofs, Mrs. B., replied he. I, said Lady Towers, that I believe, and therefore I wish, for all our sakes, you'd take him oftener to task, Mrs. B. Lady Towers, Lady Arthur, Mrs. Brooks and Mr. Martin, all claimed visits from us, and Mr. B. making excuses that he must husband his time, being obliged to go to town soon, proposed to breakfast with Lady Towers the next morning, dine with Mrs. Arthur, and sup with Mrs. Brooks, and as there cannot be a more sociable and agreeable neighbourhood anywhere, his proposal, after some difficulty, was accepted, and our usual visiting neighbours were all to have notice accordingly at each of the places. I saw Mr. Thomas Atkins coming towards us, and fearing to be stifled with compliments, I said, Your servant, ladies and gentlemen, and giving my hand to Lord Davers, stepped into the chariot instead of the coach, for people that would avoid bustle sometimes make it. Finding my mistake, I would have come out, but my lord said, Indeed you shan't, for I'll step in and have you all to myself. Lady Davis smiled. Now, said she, while the coach drew up, is my Lord Davis pleased? But I see, sister, you were tied with part of your company in the coach. Tis well contrived, my dear, said Mr. B., as long as you have not deprived me of this honour, taking the Countess's hand and leading her into the coach. Will you excuse all this impertinence, my dear? I know my father and mother will be pleased with it, and you will therefore bear with me, for their kind hearts will be delighted to hear every minute thing in relation to Lady Davers and myself. When Mr. Martin came in the evening with his friend, who is Sir William G., a polite young gentleman of Lincolnshire, he told us of the praises lavished away upon me by several genteel strangers. One saying to his friend, he had travelled twenty miles to see me. My Lady Davers was praised too for her goodness to me, and the gracefulness of her person, the Countess for the noble serenity of her aspect, and that charming ease and freedom which distinguished her birth and quality. My dear Mr. B., he said, was greatly admired too, but he would not make him proud, for he had superiorities enough already. That was his word over his neighbours. But I can tell you, said he, that for most of your praises you were obliged to your lady, and for having rewarded her excellence as you have done, 
for one gentleman, added he, said he knew no one but you could deserve her, and he believed you did, from that tenderness in your behaviour to her, and from that grandeur of air and majesty of person, that seemed to show you formed for her protector, as well as rewarder. Get you gone to London, both of you, said he. I did not intend to tell you, Mr. B., what was said of you. The women of the two ladies had acquainted their ladyships with the order I observed for the day, and the devout behaviour of the servants. And about seven, I withdrawing as silently and as unobserved as I could, was surprised as I was going through the great hall to be joined by both. I shall come at all your secrets, Pamela, said my lady, and be able in time to cut you out in your own way. I know whither you are going. My good ladies, said I, pardon me for leaving you. I will attend you in half an hour. No, my dear, said Lady Davers, the Countess and I have resolved to attend you for that half hour, and we will return to company together. Is it not descending too much, my ladies, as to the company? If it is for us, it is for you, said the Countess. So we will either act up to you, or make you come down to us, and we will judge of all your proceedings. Every one but Abraham, who attended the gentlemen, and all their ladyship's servants and their two women were there, which pleased me, however, because it showed that even the strangers, by this their second voluntary attendance, had no ill opinion of the service, but they were all startled, ours and theirs, to see the ladies accompanying me. I stepped up to Mr. Adams. I was in hope, sir, said I, we should have been favoured with your company at our table. He bowed. Well, sir, said I, these ladies come to be obliged to you for your good offices, and you'll have no better way of letting them return their obligations than to sup, though you would not dine with them. Mr. Longman, said my lady, how do you do? We are come to be witnesses of the family decorum. We have a blessed lady, madam, said he, and your ladyship's presence augments our joys. I should have said, we were not at church in the afternoon, and when I do not go, we have the evening service read to us, as it is at church, which Mr. Adams performed now, with his usual distinctness and fervour. When all was concluded, I said, Now, my dearest ladies, excuse me for the sake of the delight I take in seeing all my good folks about me in this decent and obliging manner. Indeed, I have no ostentation in it, if I know my own heart. The Countess and Lady Davers, delighted to see such good behaviour in every one, sat a moment or two looking upon one another in silence, and then my Lady Davers took my hand. Beloved, deservedly beloved of the kindest of husbands, what a blessing art thou to this family, and to every family, said the Countess, who have the happiness to know, and the grace to follow her example. But where, said Lady Davers, collectest thou all this good sense, and find spirit in thy devotion? The Bible, said I, is the foundation of all. Lady Davers then turning herself to Mrs. Jervis. How do you, good woman, said she? Why, you are now made ample amends for the love you bore to this dear creature formerly. You have an angel and not a woman for your lady, my good Mrs. Jervis, said the Countess. Mrs. Jervis folding her uplifted hands together. 
Oh, my good lady, you know not our happiness. No, not one half of it. We were before blessed with plenty and a bountiful indulgence by our good master. But our plenty brought on wantonness and wranglings. But now we have peace as well as plenty. And peace of mind, my dear lady, in doing all in our respective powers to show ourselves thankful creatures to God and to the best of masters and mistresses. Good soul, said I, and was forced to put my handkerchief to my eyes. Your heart is always overflowing thus with gratitude and praises for what you so well merit from us. Mr. Longman, said my lady, assuming a sprightly air, although her eye twinkled, to keep within its lids the precious water that sprang from a noble and well-affected heart. I am glad to see you here, attending your pious young lady. Well might you love her, honest man. I did not know there was so excellent a creature in any rank. Madam, said the other worthy heart, unable to speak but in broken sentences, you don't know, indeed you don't, what a, what a happy family we are. Truly, we are like unto Alexander's soldiers, every one fit to be a general. So well do we all know our duties, and practice them too, let me say. Nay, and please your ladyship, we all of us long till morning comes, thus to attend my lady, and after that is past, we long for evening for the same purpose. For she is so good to us, you cannot think how good she is, but permit your honoured father's old servant to say one word more, that though we are always pleased and joyful on these occasions, yet we are in transports to see our master's noble sister thus favouring us, with your ladyship too, to the countess, and approving our young lady's conduct and piety. Blessing on you all, said my lady. Let us go, my lady, let us go, sister, for I cannot stop any longer. As I slid by, following their ladyships. How do you, Mr. Colbrand? cried I softly. I feared you were not well in the morning. He bowed. Pardon me, madam. I was little indisposed, that is true. Now, my dear friend, will you forgive me all this self-praise, as it may seem? Yet when you know I give it you, and my dear parents, as so many instances of my Lady Davers' reconciliation and goodness to me, and as it will show what a noble heart she has at bottom, when her pride of quality and her passion have subsided, and her native good sense and excellence taken place, I flatter myself I may be the rather excused, and especially as I hope to have your company and countenance one day, in this my delightful Sunday employment. I should have added, for I think a good clergyman cannot be too much respected, that I repeated my request to Mr. Adams to oblige us with his company at supper, but he so very earnestly begged to be excused, and with so much concern of countenance that I thought it would be wrong to insist upon it, though I was sorry for it, sure as I am that modesty is always a sign of merit. We returned to the gentleman when supper was ready, as cheerful and easy, Lady Davers observed, as if we had not been present at so solemn a service. And this, said she, after they were gone, makes religion so pleasant and delightful a thing, that I profess I shall have a much higher opinion 
of those who make it a regular and constant part of their employment than ever I had. Then, said she, I was once, I remember, when a girl, at the house of a very devout man, for a week, with his granddaughter, my schoolfellow, and there were such preachments against vanities and for self-denials that were we to have followed the good man's precepts, though indeed not his practice, for well did he love his belly. Half God Almighty's creatures and works would have been useless, and industry would have been banished the earth. Then, added her ladyship, have I heard the good man confess himself guilty of such sins, as, if true, and by his hiding his face with his broad-brimmed hat, it looked a little bad against him. He ought to have been hanged on a gallows fifty feet high. These reflections, as I said, fell from my lady after the gentlemen were gone, when she recounted to her brother the entertainment, as she was pleased to call it, I had given her, on which she made high encomiums, as did the countess, and they praised also the natural dignity which they imputed to me, saying, I had taught them a way they never could have found out, to descend to the company of servants, and yet to secure, and even augment, the respect and veneration of inferiors at the same time. And Pamela, said my lady, you are certainly very right to pay so much regard to the young clergyman, for that makes all he reads, and all he says, of greater efficacy with the auditors, facilitates the work you have in view to bring about, and in your own absence, for your monarch may not always dispense with you, perhaps, strengthens his influence and encourages him beside. End of letter 32, part 3